0: In 1982, Erica Schickel was expelled from her East Coast prep school for sleeping with a teacher. She was that girl, rebellious, precocious, and macking for love, seduced, caught, and then whisked away in the night to avoid scandal. Schickel's provocative, searing, and darkly funny memoir, The Big Hurt, explores the question, how did that girl turn out? Well, guess what, my let's keep it real people. We are going to find out. That's right. Uh, Erica is going to be on our show today. So hold tight wherever you are and get ready. I just love, love this woman and her journey. Hoochie mama. Oof, crazy. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. You are going to love it. You're definitely going to want to get her book for darn sure. My Let's Keep It Real people, get ready for the ride. Toodles. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life. And as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello, my let's keep it real people. Are you in for a treat? I believe my next guest, Erica, I hope I get it right, Shickle, Am I right, Erica? Yes, you are. Woohoo! She's going to keep it real. Man, oh man, has she lived a lot of life and had a wonderful, exciting, I'm going to say full journey. But before I bring her on to tell you any more about Erica, which by the way, I spoke to her a little bit ago. Let's say, I don't even think it was two weeks ago. And she lives in New York and she was telling me her journey. And I'm like, backed up until February to record and I was like oh my god this is so exciting I'm putting this out now so if that tells you how much I love her and her journey I am I'm double booking because I need to get her story out here so let me tell you about her she is the author of the big hurt that's right the big hurt Oh my god laugh cry you got the whole freaking thing it's just too much to take in and it's a page turner and you're not the boss of me adventures of a modern mom she has taught memoir i didn't know this and essay writing at ucla and privately her work has appeared in the los angeles Times, la weekly la city b I think it's called Salon or Saloon. I'm going to say Salon ravishly, but she'll correct me. Tin House, Bus Magazine, and the Ellie Review of Books, among others. I could have used her years ago. She lives... And you, I, I didn't know you lived in California with your boyfriend for some reason. Why did I say New York? I was going
1: to ask you why you said that, because <laughs> I'm from New York. There's a lot of New York in the book,
0: but I've been living in L.A. since 1988. Yeah, I, I just said when I talked to you in New York, I know why. Shout out. We better shout out to Mark or he's going to kick our butts. That's yeah. how I met you. And I think he said he met you in New York? Yes. We've known each
1: other for decades. Ah.
0: Uh. And did you meet in New York?
1: Yeah, met him, met Mark back in the mid 80s. He was a good friend of my boyfriend at the time. Really? uh, And I I got rid of the boyfriend, but I kept the the (laughs) friend.
0: (laughs) So isn't that the way it is with
1: friends? (laughs) You know, it's, it's sometimes we have to take a roundabout path to find our people.
0: All right. Well, before we get into any of that, I always ask my guest, if you were going to just think of one word, whatever it is, good, bad, or ugly, to best describe your past 30 days, Erica, what would it be and why? Oh, one word for my past 30 days. Yeah. Anything. That word, the, that word is Hustle. Yeah. We were talking about that little before we recorded. Mm -hmm. All right. Tell me, tell us, tell us why, tell them everything. Well, I had, (laughs) I had this book published on August 10th
1: and I have been flogging it everywhere I can because nowadays it's, um, you know, it's the author's job to sell books, not the publisher's job. So that's what I've been pretty much focused on. And how I fortunately came to meet you, Sandy.
0: Yeah. And we better say Mark's last name, Netter, you know, from ElectricCast, you know. He, mm-hmm. by the way, just so you know, he was like, Sandy, wait till you meet her. Wait till you meet her. You're going to love her. And they kept saying, you know, I'm five times in the book. I don't know if he's five times in the
1: book. <laughs> yes. He's really proud of that. And I give him, him an, an acknowledgement. And that's because... I mean, I started writing this book in two thousand and eight. Whoa. And it was a very hard book to write. And he was the one person who would call me up every single day and say, "Are you writing? Are you writing? <gasps> no, what have you done? Are you working? And he was just my point person for, in you know, in terms of just career stuff, ambition, creativity, all of that. He and I have always had such a good conversation around those things. So,
0: yeah. And what a great friend. Yeah, the best. I mean, seriously, to call you, are you writing and you're writing, like truly caring about you? Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Okay, so we were talking about before, should you set up the book? But I just want to know, when you said, I'm going to backtrack, that you've been writing it through from 2008 and you said it was difficult. Was it because it was difficult to put, you know, what your life was about and see it on paper?
1: Um, well, there were a couple of reasons for that. I mean, one is that I started writing a different book when I started writing this book. I okay. had a, I had a high school story to tell about going to this sort of interesting, weird, bohemian boarding school in the Berkshires from 1978 to 1982. And I imagined that I was going to write this sort of hilarious, zany memoir about, you know, pranks and antics and fun that I had there, which I certainly did. Um, But the only problem was the ending of that story, which was that six weeks before graduation, I was seduced by a teacher at that school. Mm. It was discovered by the school, and he was fired, and I was effectively expelled from the school six weeks before graduation.
0: So I was like, "Whoa, whoa, hmm. whoa, whoa, whoa!" <laughs> six weeks before graduation. Yep. Yep.
1: Oh God, it was it was heartbreaking, but it was also something that I hadn't actually uh, synthesized, if you know what I mean. I had carried it that story as anecdote, like, hey, you'll never believe this thing happened to me, but I never looked at it. And as I started to write this book, um, two things happened. One, I was contacted from a very old friend from that time who was a witness to those events And I he found me on Facebook after a couple of decades of having fallen out of contact
0: Mm. And he
1: gave me the sort of the straight skinny on what happened And he said what happened to you was abusive and it was wrong and you were betrayed by the teacher by the school by your parents and in all those years I had been just carrying guilt and shame around it and so this perspective just upended my whole world. And then I got a fellowship at a writing community for women up in, uh, off the coast of Seattle. Mm-hmm. And I had three weeks alone in a cottage where I suddenly, I just broke apart, Sandy. I mean, I it was like one of those moments where just my my soul fell through mm-hmm. the floor. Mm-hmm. And I became so consumed with just deep grief and deep sadness as I came in my 40s to understand that I had been betrayed by every single adult in my life, from my mother and father to the school administration to the teacher who seduced me I lived with him for six weeks that summer and then he dumped me very cruelly. And so I began adulthood in this sort of shattered state of heartbreak and guilt and shame. And I felt like I was a dirty bad girl, a screw up. And so I made life choices based on this identity. I, you know, I married a very square, upstanding guy who was I mean I had two beautiful children with him so I do not regret the union. But yeah, he was yeah. the wrong he was the wrong man for me. He was the wrong partner for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I I muted myself for years because I was just embarrassed by my my past and what oh, might happen. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. You know, I'm so glad that you shared that and I'm so glad that I think there's so many people like you said You didn't think of it that way. You know, Mm -mm. you you were going to write this fun, lighthearted book, you know, and talk about it. And then all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what's been happening to me. And, you know, the fact that, uh, was there a moment then you were like, wait a minute, wait a minute, like you, you were saying where you were at the fellowship, but-
1: Well, I'll tell you, the trigger actually happened on the plane to Seattle. And I, you know, I was gonna write this story about you know, this high school experience. And somebody had said to me, why don't you take a look at, at Joyce Maynard's memoir, At Home in the World, which is a, a, a memoir about her affair with J.D. Salinger. Mm. Right? So she, Joyce Maynard, was at Yale and was featured on the cover, uh, and this was in the 70s, on the cover of the Sunday New York Times magazine. And it was, you know, an 18, a 18-year-old looks back on life, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and Salinger saw this and he began a sort of, well, an epistolary courtship. He was writing her letters and she was writing back. And, and and you know, and her parents sort of signed off on this. She dropped out of Yale and went to live with him in in Cornish, New Hampshire. And it was just a nightmare. But the thing that got me was a a scene towards the end of the book where her mother, with whom she'd been estranged on and off for years, as I had been with my mother, and she gets on the phone with her mother and her mother is on her deathbed. And all she can say to Joyce on the phone is love 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 Mm. and I still just get chills through my body when I think of that and it that was the thing that broke me open and I understood that what I was in mourning over was my mother who was still alive very much alive yeah at that time but that was the thing and that was that was the avalanche that buried buried me you know of just that understanding that I had lost my mother at the age of 14, effectively.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm gonna bring up this question that I got by this young lady, we'll call her Sally Bell, because I always reach out to my listeners and I told them a little bit about your journey. And the one lady, uh, she said she's 50. She has three kids and a husband and her boss had seduced her. And Mm -hmm. she went with it because she didn't want to lose her job. I'm paraphrasing because it's really long. Sure. And nobody knows. To this day, nobody knows. Her family Mm. doesn't know. Her Mm. mom doesn't know. Her dad doesn't know. Her husband. And although, quote unquote, she feels like she has a content life, there's something missing. But she doesn't know how to say anything at this point. Is it too late? God, no. Oh my God. No, it's never. Too it broke late my to heart heal. when I was reading this. It is. You know? Yeah. I mean, Oh,
1: Sally, my heart goes out to you. I mean, women, I think, encounter so many sexual romantic I- injuries in the course of their lives, you know? Um, and I, maybe I should actually erase romantic from that sentence because there's nothing romantic about what happened to Sally. Nor nor was there anything romantic about what happened to me as I see it now. At the yeah. time, I felt that I was being offered love, and I was a child- looking for love, you know, and one of the only outlets for me to find any kind of sort of, you know, uh, a kind of love was through sex, right? Yeah. It yeah. was the 70s. I was a cute, mature for her age girl and, you know, and there was a culture that sort of signed off on this kind of predation, you know, statutory predation. So. You know, when the teacher came to me and said that he was madly in love with me and I, he had to have me, you know, I looked at that as an opportunity. You know, I, I, I was, I didn't love him. I mean, I had sort of a crush on him, but I had never expected him to say anything like that to me. And I did not know how to say no to him. And I thought that I would be wrong to say no to him, that I would be closing the door on an opportunity to get the one thing that I desperately wanted, which was love and connection.
0: You know, when I was reading this, and I know your story, I mean, obviously, she's going to need someone to take her through that journey. But I still feel as if, like you said, it's never too late to open up, even if she's 50 or 55, no matter who it is,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: it can be so healing, which is to my next question. This young man wants to know, before you wrote the memoir, did you write, I guess he calls it a healing letter to yourself that nobody else read so that you could get through it first?
1: Hmm. Interesting. That would have been a fantastic strategy. I wish I'd done it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, you know, I'm a. i am write in a journal. I'm a writer. You know, I keep a. I keep a diary. Um, you know, I don't think I had the presence of mind at the time to understand yeah. that what this was was a healing journey. You know, I was in a maelstrom of emotion, confusion. And and also, you know, one of the triggers was that I had, at that time, two daughters who were almost at the age me and my sister had been when our family fell apart. And a lot of what I was doing was sort of replicating my past in that. And we can talk about sort of the other part of this book, which is the middle age story in which... I blow up my marriage for the love of an insane notorious man
0: oh yeah that's interesting Uh, yeah uh, yeah. so in
1: answer to that question I mean in the end this book is the healing letter you know I wrote this book primarily to heal myself I mean I was an author I'm a writer this is my medium um, I had my first book, You're Not the Boss of Me, had come out the year before, and I had an agent saying, what are you going to do next? And I was like, I'm going to try to tell this high school story. So, you know, I had a writing assignment, but as I went deeper and deeper into the book, the more I became, I the book afforded me an opportunity to understand my own history, my family's history. Yeah, and And the book, writing the book is what healed me.
0: You know, know, and that's, that's not to yeah. say
1: I didn't do other things like much therapy and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I used everything I could, but Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You know, and as my life sort of fell apart beginning in 2009 through about 2017, which my life was on just a roller coaster because of this man I was with and both my parents became ill and died and I had children in duress. So a lot of my writing life was sort of overtaken by life events. And, um, but I, I, all I had was this mission to write this book. And mind you, I had not been paid in advance or anything. I didn't have a contract. Oh. I, I had a contract with myself. Yeah, Because my yeah. agent had said, you know, sell this as a finished manuscript. Just go write the book. And I was like, okie doke, <laughs> you know. <laughs> okie doke. And then it became the thing that I clung to as just everything was sort of churning around me. You know, I had every day,
0: like, I have to work on the book. So it saved me. Okay, so let's back up a little bit because, by the way... <laughs> I got at least 28 different questions that I didn't even think that I was going to get for you, Erica, when I told Hmm. them about the book. And when you were talking to me about, was this stuff too heavy? My listeners were like, oh, please, we're so grateful. (laughs)
1: Oh, I'm so glad to hear that.
0: Yeah, it's not at all. So, but let's back up a little bit because I know the story about this man you know, when you were married and can we, do you mind, or do we want to save that for the readers just a little bit um, more?
1: No, I think we can tease it a little bit because, tease it. you know. Tease it, just tease yeah. it a little. So uh, there I was at sort of in the tail end of a 20-year marriage that had run its course. It, you know, it was really good for 10 years. And then the last, the second half of the marriage was not, were not happy years for me. So, um but I had no idea or intention of leaving the marriage because one of the things i did after the high school experience and i married this man was like my mission was to be the kind of mother that i had never had and that meant remaining in the marriage and staying you know staying on the job with my kids that was a huge hugely important task to me. So I met this author. He's a famous crime writer. I call him Sam Spade in the book. But, you know, any one of your readers can do half a Google search and find out who it was. Oh, yes. Um, And he was notorious, a notorious Lothario um, and a brilliant man. And I met him at the L.A. Times Festival of Books in 2007 when I was there with my first book. And the moment I met him, I had this moment of recognition. Like I, suddenly, I saw him and I understood who he was. And I knew that if he understood who I was, he would see that we were meant for each other.
0: Okay, wait a minute. What, what do you mean by that you understood who he was?
1: How do I describe it? I, you know, I I had met him and then I was walking away from him and he was looking, he was dating a woman I knew at the time, another writer. Okay. okay. And he'd asked, had we seen her? And I, no, I hadn't. And he, I looked back and he was looking around the room for this woman and I saw such yearning in him, such devotion that I, I just, I don't know, it cued something up in me and I couldn't stop thinking about him. Then a year mm. later, and this is where our friend Mark Netter comes into the picture and into the oh. book. So I would bring Mark and his two boys, I'd get them guest passes for the green room at the book festival because they loved yeah. the book festival. And yeah. Netter, Mark Netter was, I call him Netter. Netter? Um, was I'm going to call him Netter. Huge, uh, everybody who knows him calls him Netter. Um, oh. So Netter was a huge fan of this author, and he was like, please introduce me. And I was like, oh, God, he's not even going to remember me. This is embarrassing. But I went over that. I introduced him, and of course, he did remember me. And um I kept thinking about him for another year, and it was like he was a treat I kept in my mind. Like... I felt that he he was thinking about me, and I was thinking about him, and an imaginary relationship was really enough for me. It sort of kept me, it kept my head above water in my life in some way, to know that somebody out there was thinking about me. So... It took another year before we finally made contact with each other. Oh my God, this is
0: like a mini-series
1: love story. Go ahead. It is. It is. It's a crazy story. I mean, both halves of this story are insane. And there's many repeating patterns in this. And as a person who sort of thinks sort of big picture, like I have sort of a meta brain, you know, I like to look at where points connect and relate to each other. Mm-hmm. I came to understood that this story was sort of more of a web than a linear thing. That each point connected to another point in the narrative. And mm. that's one of the things that was so difficult about writing it, was how to play the story out so that my reader could really understand what the stakes were, what the, yeah. what the connections were you know and come away with a deeper understanding not just of my experience but of their own experiences yeah
0: yeah you know so many of your stories and what you share i had at least five people they must i think some of them did it on audio your book but said they can apply it to different parts of their life and mm. and one which was extremely anonymous cuz he's on the other side of it we'll call him billy bob is happily married, kids grown, awesome life, but he was a professor in college when he had a relationship with a young student. Mm. And years later, he's wondering the impact he had on her life. Now, he he's had no contact, and should he? Now, I don't know anything more than that, and that's pretty open-ended, but good yeah. for him- Trying to say, what should I do now?
1: Hats off to Billy Bob for, (laughs) you know, having, you know, having the presence of mind and soul to consider his actions and second guess himself on that. You know, I think that's pretty rare and admirable. Um, And I don't know. He said he was
0: 29 and she was 19 or 18 and a half.
1: And, you know, one of the, one of the sticky points in my story is that my, this situation in high school occurred two months after my 18th birthday. I have a birthday in February and, Ugh. and the teacher seduced me in April, right? So, yeah. of course I was of legal age, but it doesn't mean anything. You know, I'm yeah. still a yeah, child. Yeah. So what does that
0: matter? So that's just the law. That's not you.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, and there are, just simply put, you know, power differentials there. You know, yeah. it is not an even even playing field if one is a professor, professor and the other is a student. No. That is a, just a built-in power differential, which Absolutely. is why it's so discouraged, you know, because yeah. it is harmful. We are, though that was a young woman forming her identity and if part of that the formation of that identity as a sort of sexual mature woman is a betrayal like this you know he was married he broke her heart i can't i don't you know want to presume what happened in this case yeah but certainly in my case it was devastating And one of the interesting things that I bring into this story is that I came to understand that I was the third generation in my family on my mother's side to be seduced by a teacher. What? Yeah. And I learned after the affair with the teacher that my mother had had a very long, involved, and devastating affair with her psychology professor at Sarah Lawrence College in the 50s. And she was in a sexual triad with him and his wife. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You know, according to her best friend at the time, who I interviewed for the book, Yeah, yeah. completely changed her. And I came to understand that it was that experience... That shaped her into the mother that I had, which was a woman who, a mother who was very guarded, very easily, you know, angered and upset, unable to really have good, really, a good romantic relationship with my father. Although that, you know, they both share the blame in that situation. Yeah. But, you know, that sadness and heartbreak you know, was sort of the low hum in the background of my childhood. And one of the things the book is sort of looks at or considers is, you know, this idea of sort of intergenerational shame, you know, and the epigenetics of heartbreak and grief, you know, and I believe that some of that got passed down to me in the bloodline. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So, by understanding her story and then i also go back to my great aunt frances who in the early 1900s in western seattle was seduced by her english teacher at the age of like 15 and was married to him at 16 and divorced him by 18. so maybe it's a coincidence maybe it isn't but it also speaks to the fact that these kinds of assignations, relationships were condoned by society up until very, very recently. Yeah. You know, so the conversation we're having is a new one. That's all I'm saying.
0: Yeah. I have questions. So understanding it and seeing why they were the way they are, did it help you heal?
1: It's always healing to understand another person's experience and perspective yeah. because we are not individuals. We think we are individuals, but we're not. We are relational creatures. We are all connected to each other. So, and especially, I mean, in a, in a family line, you know, our greatest exposure is to our parents. So, yeah, I needed to understand her and it allowed me to forgive her. To yeah. understand that yeah. she was living with the same kind of betrayal and heartbreak that I had experienced.
0: Yeah, I think that's so healing. I, I had a friend of mine who her therapist was begging her to go back and talk to her family and find out about how they grew up. And she refused to for five years. Mm. But when she did she's like because she said i i know maybe you could understand that she said i really didn't want to forgive them Mm -hmm. you know i want can you she's like i wanted to hold on to my pain and that she didn't want to know that they had these crappy lives (laughs) i know it doesn't make sense maybe but i i I mean i do get it and then when she did go back she you know she did discover their abuse there was alcoholism and she could see why they were the way they were but and she eventually forgave but she said it took her a long long time
1: it yeah I mean f- first of all I say in the book you know closure is a shuck, meaning there's no such thing as closure and I, I think we need to let go of that idea because it it's not helping us I have had as much closure as I'm going to get on this subject, the subject of what happened to me in my early life. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's not something that I'm just going to continue to live with. I mean, I'm not agonizing over it anymore, but I still wonder like what would have happened? Who would I have been had these things not happened to me? How would my life have been different? And it's not that I'm I regret it because mm. one of the things about integrating, you know, the lessons of your young life into your mature life that I learned was that it was in fact my work here on earth to heal my family's bloodline. That I had Ugh. two, I had two daughters and I was gonna, I was gonna Change the course in my family lineage. Wow. And I was successful to, in doing that.
0: Oh, Erica. <laughs> God bless. That's all I have to say is God bless because <laughs> the journey, <laughs> as much as rewarding, it must have been so painful at times. Oh, God, Sandy. So painful. So painful. And scary. And scary. Like, I'm getting shivers thinking about it. And I only know pieces of your journey.
1: I mean, yeah, it's, it's, everybody's experience, I mean, it's sort of strange and scary to other people. And, it, you know, I've been living with this experience for so many years that I just, you know, but back in 2009, when I started to really look at this, I mean, and when I say I fell down the hole, I really did. I mean, I was suddenly horrified. Like I had two kids the, the age I was, you know, would I have sent either of my daughters away at the age of 14? absolutely not you know and under like, and thinking about my daughters you know and how much i loved them and wanted to keep them close and all the way through their upbringing i just couldn't imagine how how my mother had gotten rid of me you know it just was it was so painful so very painful and as it turns out, my mother and I, you know, in the very end, and I, and she died holding my hand. And two days before she passed, she begged for my forgiveness. And I gave it to her. You know, yeah, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Now, Absolutely. that, that doesn't rewrite our entire history together. And I, as an adult and a mother, I can say, "You know, that was some pretty screwed-up stuff right there, and she did a fairly shit job of mothering me.
0: Yeah, On the yeah. other
1: hand, I'm OK, you know? I'm not yeah. yeah, you know, I'm a fairly productive, you know yeah. <laughs> adult. So, you know, we have to just integrate our experiences and live with them in whatever shape they take as we grow up with them, I think.
0: Okay. So I want to back up a little bit. So, and this is, this is even a hard concept for me. Understanding why they were the way they were helped you forgive, but it doesn't mean it was okay how they treated you. It still sucked bad.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I just want to clarify for my own journey.
1: Yeah. No, it wasn't right. You know, they fucked it up. They did a pretty bad job. Now, luckily for me, you know, in the case with my mother, she didn't get triggered by me until I reached puberty and then it all fell apart. But in early childhood, for the most part i have good memories i was very bonded with her and, oh, oh. you know and she tended to rage at me and at when she when i upset her i upset her a lot but it got worse as i got older and i think there was something about my you know emerging into puberty that made her just come unwound you know yeah, yeah. and so because I you know my early childhood was okayish you know't know,
0: I don't yeah, know yeah. At, you know
1: she did yeah. leave me at like eight months old for to leave on a cruise with my father for several weeks and left me with a babysitter as an infant I mean you know but again, it was the 60s, man you know it was a different time
0: you know and that, you know that's true that's true It yeah. that would be like you know child abuse right now yeah. <laughs> babysitter a babysitter it, oh, you need God.
1: to hold space for for that though like okay you know who knows what my mother was actually thinking when she said goodbye and headed out the door for a month-long cruise but i'll
0: teach you independent you know <laughs> right but uh, you know oh, again Erica. it was
1: just it was a different time
0: Okay. Now, all right. Now, let me get it together because I'm circling things and there's so much to unpack of what you're saying. And you also have some great tips for the listeners, but this is something I've never heard before. And you said you really can't have closure. You know, people say, I just need you to tell me why you broke it off. I need to know why you did it. And then I can have closure. You're, yes. you, you said, there, forget that. You're fooling yourself. Yeah. I mean, look, one of the great I mean, you you just
1: said the words that I said for over a decade. Why? Why? To that teacher. Why? Why did you do that? Why did you have to break my heart? Why did you treat me that way? When will I ever see you again? How can I ever understand this? And I've never spoken to him again. Now, all these many years later, I have come to understand the why of it. And the why was because he was a narcissist and an abuser. And I don't need any deeper understanding of his psychology than that. His actions yeah. explain why. Oh,
0: boy. Yeah, because that, that is something I've never heard before, Erica. Like, I keep circling it on my paper. Like, stop looking for closure. It's not there, you know. you, You know, you can't heal, you know. But forget the closure. It is the path. I think it's the path to madness, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. I am, yeah. I'm circling that big time. Okay. So if your friends were going to chat about you, you know, in your twenties, you seem like you would be this fun life of the party girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. And I still am, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm still a fun person. I've always been vivacious, you know, it's just yeah. my, this is my personality. Um, And, you know, but it's a very interesting thing for me because, you know, my first book was a collection of humor essays, right? I was, I had branded myself as a humorist. I come from a long line of comedy writers, in fact. So, like, being funny in my family was sort of the highest order, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then as I began to explore what this book, the themes of my book, I mean, it it was all about sadness. And for a long time, I just, I couldn't eat, I fritzed around it, you know, because I wanted to be funny and this was not a funny story, this was a really, really sad story. And as I wrote it, I just kept thinking, oh my God, why would anybody want to read such a sad book, you know? And now that the book is out, all of the feedback has been, this is a very sad story told with enormous wit. So people are laughing, you
0: know. Because of who you are, you you couldn't help it. I mean, even just talking to you twice, you're always going to have that spin on it. That's you know, and uh, yeah. so
1: so you know. I think that you know people. We live in such a binary world, you know. Everybody's like, oh well, the, this book is called the Big Hurt. It's there's not going to be any laughs in it, you know. And it's just like there is deep humor in sadness, yeah. you know. Yeah. And yeah. and both things are always in play, you know. Yeah. And I used humor and you know wit as sort of
0: my life raft
1: through some yeah. very sad times. I,
0: so. I get it. It's, it's your MO. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. You, and you needed it. You needed it yeah. to survive. Yeah. But <laughs> it was funny because after speaking with you the first time just to see her fit, I'm like, oh my God, this woman is hysterical. Even in all your stories, first of all, you're brilliant. I mean, your writing's brilliant. And you're just so witty that you being able to deliver this book is, I really believe, is going to impact the world. I really do. Oh, thank you so much. I mean... No, I really do because you're telling it and I'm not saying it's not sad, you're not going to cry, but oh my God, you're just such a brilliant writer. Oh my God. You're so,
1: so kind. Thank you so much. You know, I, I again, you know, it's it's part of my you know, I come from writers. My mother was a writer. My father was a writer. My uncle's a writer. My cousins are all writers. My grandfather was a writer. And then going back through the family archives, everybody was a historian, a teacher, a poet, a preacher, you know, this is just what my people do.
0: Yeah. But to tell stories like you tell stories, what a gift.
1: Thank you. What a gift
0: yeah thank yeah. you i, I love, love to it. Do it all right so here we go let's get into which is about the stories we are not the stories people tell about us please dive into that uh,
1: you know i got so told a story about myself in my high school years that i was a fuck up that i was a slut that I was a dirty girl, a bad girl, you know, all of this stuff. And this was what everybody thought of me, and I took it on as my own identity. I thought they all had to be right. I didn't know how to account for my actions any Mm. other way. And one of the things I think about, and I think this is really true for women, unfortunately, who are... Always, you know, men have more freedom to define themselves than women do. Um, they have more agency just given to them by society, right? Women get shoehorned into these roles. And I found myself at a very young age being shoehorned, for instance, into the role of jailbait. Before, I, when I was still a virgin, I was being called jailbait. <sighs> You know, um, and the culture was reaffirming that by, you know, there, think of the big, you know, influence. There was Taxi Driver with Jodie Foster as the young prostitute. Um, there was Manhattan, the Woody Allen fi- film, which was sort of all this, you know, September, May r- r- relationship between Woody Allen and Mariel Hemingway. Um, and even, Think of the, the Louis Malle film, Pretty Baby. My school at the time, the Dalton School, allowed a casting person to walk through the hallways and look for girls who might be right for the part of the New Orleans child prostitute that was later pra- played by a very young Brooke Shields. Mm. So, and I was one of the people who was called. My mother didn't let me go to the audition, but, um, <laughs> but you know... It was just uh, like, I hate to keep saying this, but it was a different time. No, 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 it it was. It was where it was sort of okay. It was everybody was sort of cool with, uh, you know, grown men sleeping with children. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, uh, you know, it's astonishing. No, it was. uh, No, you're right. You're right. You know, uh, it was sort of expected. So I was willing to step into a role that felt sort of condoned by the adult world. And additionally, my parents both prized sophistication. So I was trying to be the person that they wanted me to be, which would be, you know, super smart and funny and sophisticated and worldly and smoking a cigarette and drinking a beer with them, you know, and yeah. I, but I wasn't ready. I was still a kid, you know, I didn't understand what any of it meant, just that that was a thing that I performed for the
0: adult world. You know, Erica, you're reminding me of what my high school years were like, you know? And and if I tried to describe it to my 18-year-old son, he looks at me like, you know what he said to me? He said, you were so barbaric back then, your whole group. <laughs>
1: Oh, I'm sure he would think that. I mean, yeah. I mean, our children have absolutely no idea what yeah. we were dealing with then, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it was just, it was barbaric. It really was. And, you know, the other thing, and you, just to go back to your question, you know, about we are not the stories that people tell us we are. Like, it's really important, I think, a part of sort of maturing and leveling up in your life, you know, putting able to, like, deal with your past and just be a more authentic self is to look at those labels that get slapped onto us. Oh, the other woman. Oh, she's a slut. Oh, you know, and go, no, I am not those things. In fact, here's what I was, or here's who I am. And it doesn't matter what the world thinks you are. It only matters who you think you are. And that, you know, and that for me was the biggest part of the journey, was going, oh, I don't have to be that person anymore, It never was me, and it's never going to be me again.
0: Okay. So this young lady, I'm going to bring this question up right now, says her high school all thinks she's the fun one, but really it's because they think she's the easy one. Mm. And she said she used to be that way in her sophomore year. And how can she change their mind? She's not like that anymore. Uh, First
1: of all, I would just say, let it go, honey. It's high school. You know, those... (laughs) The, those people don't know you, you know, your good friends know who you are, you know, yeah. but you know who we are in high school I mean, it feels so all-consuming and I think high schoolers and I was was certainly true for me have absolutely no idea of how long and involved life really is and you know and that we are evolving every day so Again, you know, these sort of limiting labels that get placed on us by, you know, our peers or whoever, Yeah, you know, you've got to kick that to the curb. It's just not going to, it's not going to serve you, yeah. you know, but it's hard to, do that in high school because our brains are like, our brains are organized to become these sort of social interrelational creatures. And a lot of that learning happens in high school and our brains are still, you know, changing. They don't stop changing until our mid twenties. So you know, it's, it's a hard thing to do to not care about peer pressure, yeah. you know, yeah. or care what your peers think. But I would just tell her, just, you know, sit tight, honey. It'll be okay. You know, it'll all be in the past.
0: Yeah. And I can, I just feel for her because she said she was that way because she wanted to be accepted and now she's not. And it, it, it does stay with you, Erica, you know, yeah, kids really don't does. forget you know?
1: Mm, I know. I know. And I'm no shining example. You know, it stayed (laughs) with me for years. You know, this is the work. This is the work.
0: I love what people say. Just don't care what people say, you know? Yeah, (laughs) sure. Oh yeah. I'm in a human body.
1: I still care very much what people say, you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie here about that. You know, it's not like I've reached some Zen plane of like no longer caring. I care deeply what my peers and my colleagues and my, you know, the world thinks of me, thinks of my book, thinks of, you know, whatever, my choices. Yeah. But I also have come to understand that, you know, the work that I do, it's all inner work, you know, The work we're here, it's not, we're not here to do our jobs. You know, our jobs are here to serve the inner work that we, we only help each other by first helping ourselves. And I don't mean, you know, helping entitling ourselves to things. I mean, by allowing ourselves to love ourselves. And writing this book, for me, was a real act of going back and forgive the popular psychology term, but reparenting myself. And that, that is a really, I feel, a truly profound piece of this. Is the reparenting, you know, and especially for those of us who didn't get great parenting, you know, we need to go back and forgive ourselves for that, for being lost, hungry, yearning, Oof. screwed up kids.
0: You know what? I love that you said that reparenting ourselves. Yeah, I never thought of it in that way.
1: Every, every one of us is who we used to be. I mean, you know, there's this, you know, this chime deep inside of us this gong of self you know that our experiences of ourselves sort of remain through our lives it's like when you know 80 year old women say oh my god i still think i'm 16 you know what that's saying is i'm still the the soul inside of me remains the same as the body and the life changes ages swerves in different directions the soul remains the same and you have to answer that soul. You have to acknowledge that soul. And, you know, we can call that our inner child, right? But mm-hmm. I've always been who I am. And when I this goes back to, like, letting go of the labels, you know? That's external stuff. You know, who you know yourself to be f- from the moment your self-awareness winked on in early, early childhood... To the day you die, that the soul's call remains the same. And we just have different relationships to that call during the course of our lives. So for me, I couldn't hear it. You know, I was so yeah. convinced by what everybody was telling me my, about myself that I couldn't even seem who I was, you know. And now I, because I've written this book and I've forgiven my parents and I've, Gone through the heartbreak and the suffering, uh, you know, of all of this. Like now, I know how to just sort of honor the truth of my being, and it that l- lets me let go of a lot of baggage.
0: You know, Erica, I'm so glad you said thank you. Thank you for your honesty, and that you're not enlightened. You're not there. That you don't care what people mm. think. Yeah, it, it's just a different spin on it. I'm yeah. so grateful because to say you absolutely don't care what others think and you're just living it for you i mean i always say well then what mountaintop am i living on without people around me
1: no i mean you know my my evolution compared to like you know the buddha i mean i'm like a i'm like a cockroach on the scale <laughs> you know i got nothing <laughs> you yeah. know and, and honestly, like, I mean, I'm still biting my nails and worrying about, you know, how, how, how's the book doing? What is my kid? Where is the, where, how, you know, my health insurance is running out. You know, <laughs> I, I'm jealous. I'm covetous. I'm, you know, I mean, I'm not like, from know. the Buddha. you, but, you know, but I am light years past where I used to be, at least even from 2009 when I began yes. this journey. Yeah. And I hope by the time I'm done on this plane that I will have leveled up another way. And to me, you know, that is that that path is through service. You know, yeah. Um, how can I serve? How can I help people, you know, just deal with their own pain, you know? And the big hurt is my offering in that way.
0: Oh, my gosh, Erica, I could talk to you forever. And I want to apologize to the people that send him some questions to me that i can't get to but i hope the book answers a lot of them and you're going to love it yes you'll cry you'll laugh you won't be able to put the book down but let's get to this one little point before we go because this is a big one trauma is pretty much a given in life what up with that girlfriend why (laughs) come on
1: know, this is something that I actually only recently came to, and I've been thinking about trauma a lot. You know, I've been reading that amazing book, The Body Keeps the Score.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. It's
1: so good. And one of the things that it taught me is i feel like you know we've really framed the discussion of ptsd um around sort of like you know veterans and sexual abuse victims and victims of violence and you know these big capital t traumas but i think that the more that you know is revealed in in research around this is that you know trauma just happens to all of us that living As, you know, a biological creature on this earth is an essentially traumatic experience, you know, and we are so sensitive, you know, we're such highly calibrated, sensitive creatures that it's almost impossible to not become traumatized by something by, and it can be something very minor that you're not even going to remember, you know, that happened in your early childhood. And I think that we will take an enormous step forward if we just assume trauma, you know, and start treating it as a life condition and not as sort of a very special event. And once we do that, then we can begin to forgive ourselves and each other for the ways that we behave. Um, and one of the main ways I see this is, you know, around addiction, right? And one of the people that I love most on this subject is Dr. Gabor Mate, M-A-T-E, who wrote um, a book called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. And he's a guy who has worked with hardcore addicts for years. And he has, and his whole line is all of addiction. There's no such thing really as addiction. It's all trauma. You know, it's everybody is trying to, you know, dial down the pain that they are feeling. And until we deal with trauma, we will never really deal with addiction or abuse or any of the things that keep coming up as these social ills. Brilliant.
0: And I like that, that the way you say it, the sooner we normalize it and address it, the sooner we can address the epidemic of fear and unhealed hurt that is threatening the world. I love that.
1: And just, you know, I just say, you know, I'm not a trauma victim. I'm a, I'm a human being and I Oof. have trauma as part yeah. of that palette.
0: It's such a different mindset, isn't it? It's so freeing. Isn't it? Yeah. So You're, freeing.
1: It's, yeah. It's not your fault.
0: It's okay. <laughs> so,
1: And it's not necessarily your parents' fault. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think my parents, I mean, I think both my parents loved me and wanted to do right by me. But they were so twisted up by their own experiences as we all are, right? So instead of like pointing the finger at one person, you know, let's say, why don't we do what we can sort of... To heal each other around this, to like accept each other's trauma and, you know, work together and look at our histories, look at our stories and not treat it as though it's an, a mental illness. It's just an, one ingredient in our lists of ingredients in our souls, in our experience, human experiences.
0: I got to end on that. I love that. Amen, sister. Oh my goodness. I'm going to put that in big bold print everywhere. That was brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. No, it was really good. Erica, I can't believe I have to wrap it up. We have to go, but we, and we, I have to really quickly do rapid fire. Are you ready for fun rapid fire?
1: Sure. Shoot.
0: <laughs> What's your favorite color?
1: Green. Green. Favorite food? Lobster. Uh, <laughs> No dim
0: sum. <laughs> no one's ever said lobster ever. I love, I love it or or dim sum. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, besides your book, The Big Hurt, what's a book that you would love to recommend? Oh god! Well, that book, The Body Keeps the Score. I think everybody oh, should yeah. just read that book. You know, it should be like their Bible next to their bed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll put that down. Okay. If you were going to be an animal, an animal you like that, an animal, what would you be? and why? Oh, a hundred percent I would be a tiger,
1: because the tiger is, first of all, the ultimate apex predator, the most beautiful creature on God's green earth. And here's a question I'm sure you've never asked. What would be your favorite form of death if you could die anyway? And my answer to that would be I would like to be mauled by a tiger. Oh, please. Absolutely. Because you know what? It's swift. It's swift, it's painless, and it's super
0: soft. You know what, Erica? I don't. I, don't, I, don't, I could ask somebody but if I asked what. the would you like to die <laughs> it would be like yo Sandy West and the Joy Girl <laughs> well and then I'll say it is joyful because you're going to go to your next life and we want to make it pain free <laughs> you're like yes oh you're a hoot. oh my god <laughs> I don't know what to say. Sandy, about, you're
1: fantastic. Like, I mean, this has been the funnest interview I've done so far. Your energy is Well, I'm is trying not to pee my
0: pants because I'm like, wait a minute, it's supposed to be heavy, but you make, I mean, I'm not just saying this because if you I listen to any of my podcasts, but forget your writing, your mind is brilliant. I can't, I mean, just the way you say things, I go, oh shit. I think that, but I never said it that way. How'd she put it that way? Why should, because most times people say to me, I know that has something to do with what we're talking about, but I have no idea. there's probably a lot of value in what you're saying to impact the world, but we have no clue. Can we try it again? I'm going to just go call Erica. <laughs> all right. So, oh, all right. I, I know my last thing. <laughs> you threw me off track universe. All right. If I was going to say the word universe,
1: what does it mean to you? Oh, it is, it's fractals. It's, it's, it is, that the repeating patterns that we see everywhere. I mean, any, but any, even the most fleeting glance at fractal science, you know, and understanding that everything is connected, everything, you know, we are living in a relational reality. And remember these terms, because this is what is going to save us moving forward into the future, is this essential understanding that we are not single individuals. We are part of a web of being. Mm. And the sooner we understand that everything is connected to everything else, we are connected to the natural world at every point. They are us. I am you. We are us. That's my, that is where I come from. And that's what I think is going to help us the most. Oh, please.
0: Oh, please listen to her. (laughs) I beg of you. Oh my goodness, Erica. So true. So true. I I mean, why? Why would we even think otherwise? Why? It's just, it doesn't even make logical sense to me.
1: I mean, I think that when we look at the pain in this world, all of it goes back to separation. Right. We are separated from each other. We're separated from ourselves. And as as, the sooner we can all sort of join together and understand that we're all in this together. And I think that COVID has been a huge teacher in that. Right. I mean, we've learned physically, viscerally that we are all connected. But that, again, fractals, this this pattern repeats at every level from the
0: micro to the macro. Okay, so um, <laughs> I have a workshop to teach in this subject, and I'm just going to bring you in and say what she said. <laughs> please do.
1: I mean, I please <laughs> because I'm an evangelist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll add some commentary, then I'll say what she said because <laughs> it's... So putting it like so much better. All right, Erica, how can they find your book? Where do you want them to find the book? They have to get your book. Please support Erica. You're going to not be disappointed. You're going to want to buy it, share it, buy it for other people. I promise you, where would you like us to go?
1: Any old place you want to buy a book is going to have this book because it's from a major publisher. But if you want to come find me, I have a website at and it's erikashickle.com. Just check the spelling. There's more K's than there are C's. Um, <laughs> that's true. Or actually, no, there's an equal number of K's and C's in my name. But, um, all you need to know is that Erica is spelled with a K. And I am, e- I'm Erica Schickle on Twitter. Please follow me there. I'm shickety on Instagram and also Erica Schickle on Facebook. And I'm. Be delighted to have any of your listeners come on board.
0: Yeah, and sh- you know if you have any more questions, please shoot them her way. I know she Absolutely. would get back to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Erica, I know now you live in California, but for selfish reasons, I really wish you were in New York because it's really close to me. Where I'd I we know, would have drink.
1: Su- We would have such a lunch.
0: <laughs> oh my god! Lunch, <laughs> dinner, whatever. All right, my let's keep it real people. Ah, come on. She kept it real for sure. I know you're going to want to share it, like it, rate it, support it. I can't wait to hear what you think about the big hurt. Thank you so much, Erica, for sharing your time and your wisdom. I am so thrilled that you are sharing this story with the world. And I feel honored that I got to interview you. I really do. It it was a special treat. Thank you so much. You're the best. And this really has been such a gas. Oh, good. All right, people, you know what I'm going to say until next time. Toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.